bless people and not curse them. So we must ask ourselves if that is our obligation. What harm can come over us if we are obedient to Jesus Christ? Some of you may remember the phrase about music. You've heard this phrase before. It says, practice makes perfect. Have you heard that before? Practice makes perfect. And you know what? At one time in my life, I believed that. I literally believe that practice makes absolute perfect. I recall the days in the basement of my parents' house doing an exercise hundreds of times. Hundreds. Because I wanted it absolutely perfect. No mistake, no how, in inflection, in dynamics, nothing. Uh, hundreds of times. And even after the end of time 200, it was still something about the way that I played that was not perfect. Therefore, I began to get down on myself. Because they said that if I practice over and over again, I will become perfect. See, there was always some flaw of tone, a flaw of attack, or nuance in the music. I knew I couldn't quite. Maybe others would hear it and they'd say, oh man, that was perfect. But inside my mind, inside my heart, I knew that it wasn't quite right. Have you ever been there before? People have celebrated you about something, but you knew that there was yet just this one little thing that just really bothered you. So what I discovered was that practice makes better. Can you say amen? amen? Practice improves skills. Practice breeds confidence. And practice may even display hard work, but practice does not make perfect. In fact, Jesus says, no one is good but God. Amen. Well, there's also, uh, we can take an implication off that that says that there's no one perfect but God. There's no one perfect regardless of the extraordinarily, uh, extraordinary exploits they may claim for themselves. Regardless of how bad that they think they are, uh, they are no perfect than you and I. Now saying this, saying this to ask whether or not if we will be harmed for doing good. So if you follow after righteousness, if you do everything that God has called you to do, and you do it to the, uh, to the T, and you, you, you dotted all your I's, and you cross all your T's, uh, then will you be harmed? If you do good to perfection, will you be harmed? The answer is no. But the other answer is that there are people with dark spirits who may hurt you because of the evilness in their hearts. Uh, currently, I'm reading through the book of Nehemiah. And if some of you are familiar with Nehemiah, one thing you understand about Nehemiah and his great leadership skills is that he was called, uh, uh, he was called uh, in order to go return back to Jerusalem in order to build the wall around Jerusalem, right? So there, because the walls were just broken down, so while he was there, he began to gather his men, and then there were people who had come along, uh, Sanballat and Tobiah were their names, I think there was a third person as well. So they came along, and they decided that they wanted to discourage them to stop them from their work. You see, there's always someone around who wants to stop you from doing the good that you want to do. 
There's always someone who wants to badmouth you. There's always someone who wants to say, well, you're not this and you're not that, right? And then the fascinating thing, a couple of chapters in, when uh, Tobiah and Tobias and, and Sanballat figured out that they could not hurt them. One day when Nehemiah had, had gone back, had, had returned to the place of his servanthood, Tobias had encouraged uh, one of the high priests to allow him to build a room inside the temple area. So what happens is, is this. When you think that you're okay from the outside, then the enemy tries to get you from the inside. So literally, uh, Tobias, he had a room inside the temple area. He had no business being there. So there's always enemies from within and enemies from without trying to get at you. So the idea, if you never think that nothing ever negative will happen to you because you are uh, uh, obedient to the Lord, is not biblical reality. Think of Job. Remember what God said about Job? God said this about Job. He said that there is no one else on the face of the earth like my servant Job. No one like him. So Peter himself, the same Peter who wrote 1st and 2nd Peter, it is said that he was crucified upside down. So not only crucified for his faith on the cross like Christ, but they took the cross and they turned it upside down and they crucified Peter, this same Peter. So we must be zealous for the things of the Lord and never shrink back as we please Him with our testimony and our walk. Are you zealous for what is good? Or are you only lukewarm? Are you lukewarm to the idea of goodness as it applies to your faith? So either way it goes, you are going to be faced with some challenges that are too big for you to deal with. But one thing that you know, that regardless of the challenges that you face, if you remain faithful, that Jesus Christ, he will be on your side. I think about our college students who are on their way out. They even when everything else falls apart around you, when everything else falls apart, when you feel discouraged, you feel that you're ready to hang it all up and that you can't make it four years to finishing. Now, when you feel as if it looks like you may fail a course and you just want to say, forget it, I'll take the F. When it feels like uh, this is just too much for you, then you lean on Jesus Christ. And then you ask God for wisdom who says in his word, what? He says that if any person lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives liberally and without reproach, and it shall be given to them. So wherever you find yourself, whatever corner you find yourself pushed up into, know that God is on your side. Last time we talked about being blessed as a reward for those who follow the Lord in obedience. Again, 
The word repeats this for us here in verse 14. Read verse 14. 1 Peter 3. But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. says it again here. You've already heard it several times before. But Peter says it again. Even if you suffer, you're still blessed. Even when they try to denigrate you, you are still blessed. Even when you don't have all the things that you want, know that you are still blessed. You are blessed of the Lord. Sometimes we get caught up in the trap thinking uh, that once we get saved that there's nothing else. We get saved, and then that's the end of our journey. We, we get saved, and then we can live however we want to. But I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that God has more for you. There's more than getting saved, and that's it. It's time to grow. It's time to get closer to the Lord. If you therefore do suffer, specifically as Peter sets out here in 1 Peter, that if you suffer because of the word, you are blessed. You will be blessed, and you are blessed. God will bless you and honor you appropriately. He will bless and love you. Our Lord will bless and encourage you as you hold on to his hand and trust him because God and God alone is trustworthy. Our passage, however, speaks to how we should be zealous for good, again, while we suffer for righteousness' sake. So go through struggles without fearing or being troubled. What a tall order. Go through your struggles without fearing or being troubled again, verse 14. But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. And then he says here, uh, as if a command, have no fear of them nor be troubled. So those who are trying to come after you, those things that, uh, that you're having such a problem with, he says, have no fear. It's very interesting as small as the book of First Peter is, you know that the word suffer occurs more, at least in the ESV, it occurs more in the ESV in First Peter than any other book of the Bible. Just a few chapters. More than Genesis, more than Exodus, more than Romans, more than the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, the word suffer occurs more in First Peter than any other book in the Bible. Therefore, we can say without hesitation that uh, Peter gives us a theology of suffering here. And he doesn't suggest that this theology is only for theological pursuits. He does not suggest that this theology of suffering is only for the halls of the professional clergy. But if you live this life, that one thing that you know uh, that you will go through and I know sometimes it's hard to hear this message week after week. Okay, I get it. I'm going to go through. But other times it has not sunken in. You see, I've seen the real-time results of people who do not understand the, the theology of suffering. I've seen it. See, I've seen it at the end of life. When people finally make it all the way to the end and uh, they'll ask me the question, is God still real to me? 
Does he even matter? Was it even worth it? See, when some people encounter struggle that is so intense that they begin to wonder about the God that they serve. So this book, this Theology of Suffering, teaches us how to remain and live godly when the pressure is on, when the screws of life are tightened over and over again. When you are in the, the, the wine press of suffering, uh, what comes out of you when you are squeezed? Well, I know what comes out of some of you. Because I've heard the cursing. I've heard it. When you just, somebody just like ready to box you into a corner, I know what comes out of some of you. You see, what comes out, a man speaks, Jesus says, out of the abundance of the heart. What have you placed inside of you? You see? So therefore, that's what you, that's what you speak. Uh, those become your actions. Not of godliness, not of hope in Christ, but a default of worldliness. Scripture, it teaches us about every single aspect of life. But unfortunately, there are some who believe that... Uh, the life as a Christian should only be victorious and happy without any major challenges. And as you've heard me say before, and I'll say it again, your faith cannot be built up unless you encounter various levels of challenges in your life. If you want stronger faith, you need stronger challenges. If you want to be able to, to walk up one day, some people have told us, uh, you know, when, when we up and moved away, when we sold our house and moved away all the way to Dallas, because I said God said so, some people wonder whether or not if we were really crazy. Some people wonder, are you crazy for moving there? You see, God, uh, when you know and you, you are certain about God's voice, then nothing can stop you. When you know beyond a shadow of a doubt because you have this kind of relationship with the Lord, you know you will not be discouraged because God is with you. God will be your strength. The same goes for the theology of suffering. We get a chance to make spiritual investments in our life. The more that we invest, the more we can take out later. If you don't put any investments in your life today, you have nothing to take out later. So if you want stronger faith, ask God, Lord, send me through something. Lord, can you send me through a little something, something? Now, if you ask Lord to send you, the Lord to send you through something, you can't tell him how intense for it to be. But if you want more faith, you need more challenges to that faith to find out if God is true. You see? To find out if he's real. Other than that, we walk around and we're fearful. Because it's difficult. We're afraid of a lot of things because we spend all of our time protecting ourselves, trying to guarantee our safety for us and our families. Face it, this is why we wear seat belts now. I forget, uh, I'm not sure, someone just asked me this week or last week, 
either one of my kids or one of my grandkids. You know, did you guys wear seat belts when you guys were younger? Remember those days when you didn't wear seat belts? Remember some of those days sometimes they would have put the baby in the back window? Y'all don't remember that, huh? Yeah. Now, we didn't do that. No, not on our front. We didn't do that. But I knew some people who would put the baby in the back window of the car while they were driving. But today, you got your seatbelt on, you got your seatbelt on, you got your seatbelt on, right? Everybody put their seatbelt on. So we're afraid. That's why we make sure our vehicles are in good working conditions. We'll wear shoes with, with rubber grips on them in the wintertime when there's ice on the ground and not hang around people who are up, up to no good, right? Or go inside when there's thunder outside. People fear what will happen if they refuse to eat green vegetables or fresh fruit on a regular basis. We take vitamins and other supplements and minerals attempting to stave off those dreaded diseases that can wreck our lives prematurely. In fact, even our elections are tinged in fear as campaigns warn the average citizen about the lifestyle and decisions the opposing candidate has made which may disrupt the entire country. Candidates use fear tactics to garner more votes as people become afraid of a particular candidate's policy or line of thinking. But our verse pushes us, tells us, Peter tells us here, it pushes us to the understanding of implying that fear in your life as a believer is unwelcome and should be avoided. It's a part of life. Says here, Peter says, have no fear of them. In another translation, the Holman Christian Standard Version says, uh, do not fear what they fear. So, two aspects. Number one, don't be afraid of them, or don't be afraid of what they are afraid of. If you are a believer, that should not be your lifestyle. Stand strong, stand faithful, because the Lord your God is with you. But on the other hand, and on the other hand, can you say on the other hand? On the other hand, there are some instances in which you should be wise to fear, be fearful of. Amen? For instance, when you see a fire on the stove, most wise people would be understanding and say, well, no, I'm not going to pass my hand over that fire because I might burn myself. That's a good thing. Unless you want to get burned. You should also be fearful what will happen to you if you walk out in the middle of 95th and Cicero over here and uh, in the middle of rush hour, not fearing what a car can do to you. That would be foolish. So there are certain things that we are wise to fear and we should avoid at all costs. So of those who persecute you, however, for the sake of righteousness, uh, Peter says, do not fear. Do not fear man. At the end of the day, uh, those people are trying to get you to fear. They're trying to prevent your testimony of Jesus Christ from getting out. That's what it's about. They want you to stop the light of the gospel from changing lives. This is one of those reasons churches experience deep issues that strike against its integrity and its spiritual infrastructure. This is the reason why when you hear news about certain churches and the bigger they are, uh, the, the harder the impact. Because it affects many more lives than just those people who are involved in the situation. 
They're all hits attempting to bring down the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, which would be the end of the human race if it were at all possible. So here it is. Jesus said this in Matthew 10, verse 28. Matthew 10, 28. Jesus says this. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Jesus says, don't be afraid of men. Don't be afraid of women. Just fear God. Get right before the Lord. Philippians 1.29. Philippians chapter 1.29 and after that, Revelations 2.10. Paul says in Philippians 1.29, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. The idea is that there are some things that you may have to suffer for, but nevertheless you don't have to be fearful of because you are in Christ. Revelation 2.10. The Apostle John says, Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. And for ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. There it is, this idea of suffering and the life of faith for the believer. So if you don't think that you never have to go anything, uh, go through anything, then you've never read the Bible. At least you haven't read several of the books of the Bible. So for those who think this is the only a uh, petrine doctrine or, or teaching of Peter, or, or Pauline doctrine, you know that this is a biblical doctrine. This is part of our life. This is something that we must address. The key for all of us is knowing we should not fear, but show a dependence on the Lord, which cannot be shaken. Don't be troubled by those who don't have a heaven or a hell to put you in. Don't worry about them. Don't worry about what they say. Don't be moved by the threats of those who can impact your body now, but never influence the direction of your soul with the Lord or your future body, uh, which will no longer be affected by the threats of people, disease, pain, or anything of that nature again. We must be concerned about God. We must be concerned about his word. We must be concerned about God's voice in our relationship with him. So, honor Jesus Christ, our Lord, as holy in our hearts. Verse 15. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. So instead of focusing on fear, focus on Christ. Instead of focusing on fear, Focus on Christ. In other words, when we are placed, when we are faced with the possibility of a certain type of fear, then we should instead look unto Jesus, uh, one writer says, who is the author and the finisher of our faith. Again, our default response in fearful situation should be Jesus. And I've told you again, as you know, when my kids were little, and I would ask them what did they learn in church, you know, they always said their their, their default answer was Jesus. 
I mean, how can you get wrong with Jesus? Well, what else did you learn about Jesus? That Jesus is my Lord. Well, what else did you learn? Jesus. You see, when you can't think of anything else, there's only one name that's above every name in heaven and earth can, that can get you where you need to go, and that name is what? Jesus. Stephen, the disciple of Christ, is an excellent example of how to respond when the pressure is on, how to remain focused on Jesus Christ when all the odds are against you, Acts chapter 7. Verse 54. Acts chapter 7, verse 54. Now, when they heard these things, they were enraged. And they ground their teeth at him. Uh, these were those who were opposing Stephen. They ground their teeth at Stephen. Verse 55. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God. And Jesus standing at the right hand of God, and he said, Behold! So when they were throwing stones at him, probably cursing him, and doing any manner of thing that came to their mind to him, trying to kill him, it says, Behold! This is what Stephen said, Behold! I see heaven opened, and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. In other words, he says, when they were persecuting him, Stephen said, I see Jesus. In verse 57, but they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. So as he began to even focus more on Jesus, it made them matter. Isn't that something? The more you talk about Jesus, the more matter and upset and angry someone else can become. This Stephen, he stood up to those leaders. Even while they were inflicting fatal harm to his body, eventually they killed him. I, honestly, my end to this story would be that he saw Jesus, and then he saw Jesus whip from his side a giant sword, right? right? This would be my version of it. This is what I would want. As, Jesus, as Stephen continued to focus on Jesus, Jesus stepped out of heaven with his sword and just got rid of all of them. That would be my desire at the end of the story, not that Stephen died. But Jesus always says on his terms, according to his way. He goes on to say, Peter says, be ready to give an answer for the reason of your hope. So why, when you're being persecuted, why, when you're in the midst of your friends, you want to talk about Jesus, why, uh, why are you doing what you're doing? Why do you have a hope in Jesus Christ? It says here in verse 15, always being prepared to make a defense. The Greek word is apolog uh, apologetics. That's where we get the word apologetics from. A defense or the answer of the hope. Uh, why do you believe in Christ? Why? Why? Why do you continue to talk about this Jesus when everybody else around you have just completely collapsed? Why do you still talk about Jesus? Why do you talk about Jesus when person after person have found themselves to be unfaithful to the cause? Why talk about Jesus? Why do you go to church so much? So what do you say? What do you say? 
Each response is unique, though. Your friends, your family, your job, the store, every response is unique. That's unique. That's why we must continue to be people of prayer, daily asking the Lord to bring people across our path, but also ready to give an answer for the hope that we have in Christ. Knowing that our faith is not wrapped up in some political ideology. Because if our faith is wrapped up in a political ideology, then we know that it is ultimately, in, it would be ineffective, it would be powerless and in vain, and we would believe in vain. But Jesus Christ, as we know, the Son of God, came to this earth to die for sinners, but which we all are, and reconnected us with God as we repent of our sin and then born again. This same Jesus Christ, which was crucified on Calvary, was buried and will return again. That is our answer. So give an answer for your hope. He says, with gentleness and respect. I know that sometimes, some people, they just, you know, they really, they get on your nerves. And sometimes you just want to tell them you're going to hell. And I did tell a friend that. I had a friend that I've, I've been witnessing to at least, at least for 20 years. And a couple of weeks ago, he asked me, so where do you think I'm going? You know what I told him? I said, to hell. Simple as that. You're going to hell. You don't believe in Christ? You're on the way to hell. Simple as that. So if you are confident in your faith, Maturity as a believer, do so with gentleness and respect. Hit them gently. Hit them with respect. So we just want to encourage everybody uh, that they need Christ. Then finally, verses 16 and 17. Having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it's better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will, then for doing evil. You want to suffer for doing good or suffer for doing evil? For some, suffering for doing good, it is the will of God. Did you see that? You see that in verse 17? For it is better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will. So for some believer, some believers, it is God's will that you suffer for doing good. Did you see that? So next time somebody says that a believer should never suffer but all, always be victorious, you pull this out, 1 Peter 3, verse 17. For it is better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will. But for some, that may be God's will for you. It may not be popular. It may not cause you to come in here and do a Holy Ghost dance but it is God's word. Amen? So go through struggles without fearing or being troubled. Honor Jesus Christ our Lord is holy in our hearts. Give an answer for your hope with gentleness and respect and be ready to give an answer for that reason that you hope in Christ. So be a believer who does good when you suffer. Without fear of people, and ready to give an answer or defense for the hope that you have in Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again.